Well, Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks so much for being with us today in person. Thanks so much if you're joining us online. If we have met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And it's good to be with you on New Year's Day. Um, just, just appreciate you braving things, being here on New Year's Day. I, I know it was like in your neighborhood, a little rough in my neighborhood. About midnight, I wake up to just loud music and lights and fireworks, and I get out and I look out the front window, and about three houses down across the street, there's this guy wandering around his front lawn with a bucket on his head, shouting stuff. It sounded like Polish. I don't know. So... Um, we're here. All right. So uh, we are in between series actually this morning. Um, last weekend we wrapped up our Advent series. And next weekend we're going to launch a new series on relationships. It'll be really good. Uh, but this week we're kind of in between. And so what we're going to do this weekend is we're going to finish up a series that we started back in the fall. Uh, if you remember way back in the fall we did a series called Predecide. And the whole idea with the series was um, that we, decisions are powerful. It, we, our tagline, we, we, we repeatedly said throughout the series that, you know, we oftentimes make our decisions, and then our decisions end up making us. And the trouble with this is sometimes we don't make good decisions, and especially in the heat of the moment when there's drama and emotion and all kinds of chaos, we can make poor decisions. And so in the series, we, we identified some key areas of our lives, and we said, hey, what if instead of waiting to the moment of decision to figure out what we're going to be and what we're going to do, what if we decided beforehand? What if we pre-decided who we wanted to be and how we wanted to live and sought to live into that so that when that moment of decision came, we would be ready for it? Now, in the midst of this series, we were interrupted. Pastor Devin came, candidated for the role of youth pastor, I'm glad for that. I'm just thrilled to have him here on our staff. But what that meant is we didn't get after the last week in the series. And the last week of that series actually ties really well with where we're at on the calendar today. Because last night, today, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, what's the thing that people are always making out around New Year's? Resolutions. Yeah, resolutions, right? You know? And so um, today's message ties in really well to this idea of New Year's resolutions. Now, here's the thing about resolutions. There are different kinds, right? Like, sometimes you have resolutions that are, you make them, but they're silly. Like, one year I resolved I was not going to eat store-bought tomatoes, all right? We had an amazing garden that, that, that summer. It was an unseasonably warm November. You know, like, I had just tomatoes, like, well into November. And after you've had garden tomatoes, you don't want tomato slop. You know, that's what you're getting from the store. And like, so me and my discerning palate, we decided we're not eating tomatoes again until the garden comes in the, the, the next year. And that was a resolution. Silly, but there it is, right? Other times you have kind of more middle-of-the-road resolutions. You, you might resolve, you know, hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to lose some weight or I'm going to change my diet or I'm going to read more, I'm going to reduce my screen time, whatever. Not bad things, all right? But... There's nothing objectively moral about them. And then other times, we have resolutions that are really important. We might look at things and go, you know what? This year, I'm going to deal with some things in my marriage. This year, I'm going to 
pursue a wayward child and help them find faith again. This year, that the sin that I've been ignoring in my life, I'm going to deal with that. This year, there's a virtue I know God's been calling me to develop. I'm going to get after that thing. Now, when it comes to our resolutions, whether it's the silly ones, the middle of the road ones, or the truly important ones, the thing that keeps us from keeping those resolutions, the thing that will keep us from finishing those resolutions, being finishers, is simply this. Greatest danger is quitting. It's the, it's the failure to finish. Now, when it comes to our silly resolutions, you know, like my tomato resolutions, our middle-of-the-road resolutions, I'm going to reduce my screen time. Listen, if we don't finish those, it's really not the end of the world. But when it comes to the important things in our lives, finishing them is important. The, the, these kind of things, they, they have the ability to impact who we are. Some of our most important relationships. They, they can oftentimes have long-reaching and eternal consequences. And so today, is we're, we're in this season of resolutions, today we're going to get after what would have been the last week in that series. This idea that we want to pre-decide to be finishers. We want to pre-decide to be the kind of people who when we commit, we don't quit. So let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this time, and then we'll jump into things. Father, thank you just for an opportunity to be here with you today, just to start out the new year thinking about you and your truth and how it applies to our lives. Father, we thank you just for all the blessings, all the goodness that you have poured out into our lives as individuals and as a community over the last year. Father, I pray that you would speak your truth to our minds and our hearts, that we would find hope and direction from you and the example of Jesus on how to be people who, when we commit, we don't quit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So th this idea of being a finisher sounds good, all right? but it, it begs the question of, okay, well, how do we keep from quitting? If quitting is the, the greatest danger between us and becoming finishers, how do we keep from quitting? And in, in an effort to answer this question, we're going to look to Jesus. Because if, if there was ever somebody... All right, there we go. Let's go put that right there. Because I can shout at you all in the room, but it doesn't matter how loud I talk, the people on the live stream can't hear me. So, it's just a fact. All right, so, um, where was I? Uh, Jesus, that's right. So if ever there was somebody who had something important to do at church, it's always Jesus, right? Um, it was Jesus. If ever there was somebody who had something difficult that needed to be done, it was Jesus. If ever there was somebody who would have been tempted to quit, it was Jesus. When we think about the important things we might be called to in 2020, 
23. I'm like, okay, there's, there's a habit that I need to break, an addiction that I need to overcome. I need to get my finances in order. You know, um, I, I need to be reconciled in an important relationship. I need to share my faith in a new way. All important things. Jesus was called to die. And he was not just called to die an easy death, he was called to be crucified. It was the most excruciating way a person could die known at that point in human history. If ever there was somebody who had something important to do, it was Jesus. Difficult to do, it was Jesus. Something that you would be tempted to quit on, it was Jesus. And Jesus was well aware of this call to be crucified. You, you see it throughout the course of Jesus' life. In John's biography of Jesus' life, John captures Jesus talking about this. Jesus will say this about himself. He'll say, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, now the easy way out, shepherd, he sees danger, he runs. But Jesus says, not so with me. He, again, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Again, I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus here, he knows the cross is coming. He knows he has been born to die. He is going to be the shepherd who is going to lay down his life for the sheep. The, the thing to notice here, though, is nobody's forcing Jesus into this. Whether or not Jesus quits and takes the easy way out or Jesus is going to finish is up to Jesus. And for Jesus, there's all kinds of temptation to quit. The temptation comes from the enemy. The temptation comes from his own followers. The temptation comes from political leaders. The temptation is even there internally inside of him. And yet when you read the biographies of Jesus' life, the closer he gets to the cross, the more intent he becomes upon getting there, upon finishing. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, like, what is it that enabled Jesus to do that? And I would contend there are a number of factors that were in place in Jesus' life that helped him be a finisher. Factors that are available to Jesus and factors that are available to you and me. And I'll just put them right out there. Here we go. We'll just show our cards right, right in the beginning. I would contend Jesus looked beyond himself. Jesus took the next step. And Jesus did not run alone. If we are going to be finishers with the truly important things in our lives, the things that really matter, the things that carry moral weight, it's going to be because we learn to look beyond ourselves, we learn to take the next step, and we learn not to run alone. So we'll just take these one at a time. We'll start with the first one. First one's illustrated for us in an interaction that Jesus has with Peter. It really all his disciples, but Peter's kind of the star of this, right? So, like, Peter just gets done correctly identifying Jesus as the long-awaited, the, the anticipated Messiah. And Jesus feels compelled to, to clear up some misconceptions that his disciples hold about who the Messiah is and what the Messiah is going to do. 
So Jesus says this to them. He starts teaching. He begins to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this is not the Messiah Peter expects. This is not the Messiah that any good Jew expects. And so Peter decides he's going to correct Jesus. He's going to help Jesus get it straight. And so he says to Jesus, Peter, this is beautiful. Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. And he says to him, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, Jesus is going to respond. And when you read Jesus' response, you can be tempted to think, man, Jesus is being kind of harsh with Peter. He's kind of you know, going a little bit over the top. Here's the deal. Whenever you're, you're, you're like trying to figure out who's right, who's wrong, me or Jesus, go with Jesus, all right? I'm just saying, all right? So, but, and, here's, and here's the thing. When you, when you understand where the temptation that Jesus is being presented with by Peter comes from and what's at stake, you're like, oh, there it was again. Jesus was right. So Jesus says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter, every other Jew at that time, they are expecting the Messiah to be a conquering king. He is going to come in. He's going to throw off the yoke of their enemies. He's going to set up Israel as the world's superpower. They're going to rule the world with him. In his first coming, Jesus didn't come to be a conquering king. He came to be a suffering servant. He came to be the shepherd who was going to lay down his life for the sheep. Now, you keep reading, in his second coming, Jesus will be a conquering king. And when he comes that way, look out. But in his first coming, he comes to be the suffering servant. He comes to lay down his life for the sheep. Peter is presenting Jesus with a temptation. Hey, Jesus, you don't have to go through the cross to get to the crown. You can take up the crown right now. And when Jesus responds, he's like, Peter, I've heard this before. If you, you go further back, if you remember, Jesus is in the wilderness. The Spirit has led him there. He's been fasting and praying for 40 days. And at the end of that time, the devil shows up. And he says to Jesus, hey, let, let me show you the world, all its power, all its wealth. Right now it's mine. I can give it to anyone I want. I'll give it to you right now. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. The devil is offering Jesus something that will one day rightly be his. But again, it's the easy way. Jesus, let's skip this cross thing. Let's just go right to the crown. And so as Jesus is responding to Peter, he's like, Peter, I hear Satan and what you're saying all over again. You are putting a stumbling block between me and the mission that God has called me to. Here's Jesus', Jesus number one follower trying to get Jesus to quit on the mission he has received. He's like, Peter, you've got in mind petty things. God's got something way bigger than you have in mind. 
See, what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is looking beyond himself. He's looking beyond his own personal desires. He's looking beyond his own personal agenda, what would be comfortable and good for him. Jesus is looking beyond himself. When it comes to the cross, Jesus doesn't have some masochistic fantasy that he's got to live out. No, this is the call from God on Jesus and his life. He understands this. Not only so, but Jesus understands what is at stake with this call. Paul puts it this way. He says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through him. As as the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he is offering up his life as a sacrifice for sin. The, the forgiveness of sin, the reconciliation of humanity to God is what is at stake here. This is so much more than Jesus' own personal comfort or convenience. There is so much more at stake here than, than Peter being fat and sassy and ruling the world with the Messiah. And so, as Jesus is tempted to quit, Jesus looks beyond himself. He can see, this is what the Father is calling me to. I can't quit. This is what is at stake with what I'm being called to. I cannot quit. Listen. In the truly important things, that we are being called to. There are going to be times when we are tempted to quit. There are going to be times where we look at this and we go, man, this is just hard. It would be easier to just leave this thing alone. It would be way more convenient to leave this thing alone. And in those times, if we are going to be finishers, what we need to do is, like Jesus, we need to look beyond ourselves. Now, again, with, with the silly things, this isn't helpful, right? Wait, my, my, my tomato resolution, it's not from God, all right? There, there's nothing at stake beyond the tangy, acidic goodness of garden tomatoes instead of tomato trash that I get from the store, right? But there are truly important things that God is calling me and calling you and calling us as a community to in this year. And so we've we got to stop and go, okay, what is God calling me to? Is God calling me to be a different kind of husband, a different kind of wife, and change the landscape of my marriage? Is God calling me to, to like, get after lust or bitterness or dishonesty or gossip or some kind of sin that's just been eating my lunch? Is God calling me to deal with the, the emotional instabilities in my life, to get after depression, anxiety, my sense of identity, and to address that in a whole different kind of way in this year to come? 
Is God calling me to, to live like Jesus, to lead, to serve, to be gracious in a way that I have not before? What is God calling you to in this year? Some of you watching online, some of you sitting in the room right now, you know what it is. You sense the hand of God on your heart. And if, you, if you're sitting and you're listening, you're like, I, I don't know what it is, ask God. Just ask him. He is more than capable and he is more than willing to tell you. But if we are going to be the people who finish when the temptation to quit comes, the first thing we need to do is go, okay, here's this thing, I'm tempted to quit. Where is this from? Like, this thing that I'm trying to do, is this just a silly thing? Is this just kind of a middle of the road thing? Or is this something that God has called me to? And if it is something that God has called me to, what is at stake? If, 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 I, if I just give up on getting after that sin, how is that going to impact my life spiritually? How is that going to impact my legacy? How is that going to impact who I am in the long run? If I, if I give up on trying to change the face of my marriage, how's that going to impact my spouse? How's that going to impact my children? How's that going to impact people who I say I love? If I give up on this thing that God is calling me to, how's this going to impact the community that I'm a part of that I see is important to me? The first factor that comes with finishing is like Jesus, it's learning to look beyond ourselves. Second factor is one that plays off of it. And it's learning to take the next step. Finishers are people who learn to take the next step. Mark writes this about Jesus and, and his biography of Jesus' life. Towards the end, Mark says, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. So here's Jesus. He's got his disciples. He's got this group of people. He's heading towards Jerusalem. And people are freaking out. You know, like, what's their problem? Here's the deal. At this point in the, the biography, the religious leaders have made it very clear they are going to kill Jesus. It is no mystery. It is no secret. It is out there publicly. They can do it. And the stronghold of their power is Jerusalem. So here is Jesus marching into the lion's den at a point in history where they are out to kill him. And his followers are freaking out. They're like, what is he doing? I don't know. He's going to get himself killed. He's going to get us killed. I am afraid. And Jesus, in an effort to clarify for them what is going on, says this. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, the Son of Man is Jesus' favorite designation for himself. He might as well have spoken in first person. He might as well have said, I. Right? He says, I am going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they will condemn me to death and hand me over to the Gentiles who will mock me and spit on me and flog me and kill me. To which the disciples are like, oh, thanks, Jesus. Clears things up, puts my mind at ease, right? So this is what's happening. Now, I love the way that Luke, in his biography of Jesus' life, writes about this very same scene in a poetic kind of way that, that looks back to prophecy, Luke says this. 
He says, and it came to pass that when the time had come that he should be received up, he being Jesus, that he should be received up. That's a nice way of saying when the time had come for Jesus to die, he steadfastly set his face like a like he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Here's Jesus heading to Jerusalem, the place where they are just waiting to kill him, and steadfastly, consistently, resolutely, Jesus keeps moving towards that place. He knows death awaits him there. And, and make no mistake, the Jesus of the New Testament, he doesn't have a death wish. He does not want to be crucified. He knows this is coming. He knows this will happen in Jerusalem. This is not something he is looking forward to. And yet, resolutely, consistently, patiently, he just sets his face towards Jerusalem and just keeps moving in that direction. One consistent step after the next. And at each step along the way, there are things that take place, challenges, drama, that could easily incite Jesus to quit. Like, Jesus gets there, and the crowd is going off, demanding that Jesus become their king right then and there. And the religious leaders are saying, hey, you need to tell them to shut up. And Jesus takes the next step. And he rolls into the temple, and he sees it turned into a platform for greed, and in a rage, he tears the place up, and the religious leaders want to know where he gets off doing such things, and Jesus takes the next step. And the religious leaders send one group after another, after another, to try and publicly trip Jesus up, to discredit him in the eyes of the people. Jesus outsmarts them all and takes the next step. And Judas cashes in on Jesus. He figures Jesus isn't going to be who I want him to be. I'm going to get out of Jesus what I can. And he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus knows it and takes the next step. Jesus is in the garden. He is praying. He just needs his friends to pray for him. And all they can do is fall asleep. And God won't give him the answer that he's asking for in prayer. And Jesus takes the next step. Jesus is abandoned in the garden. Like the mob shows up, they arrest Jesus. All his followers run and leave him behind. And Jesus takes the next step. Peter denies Jesus, not once but three times over. And Jesus takes the next step. Jesus, like he predicted, he is arrested, he is flogged, he is mocked, he is beaten. They put the cross on his back and Jesus takes the next step. At Every point along the way, when it would have been easier for Jesus to just quit, Jesus took the next step. And each successive step took him one step closer to the finish line. Again, with the important things that God is calling us to in our lives, the temptation to quit is going to be there. Here's the thing about finishers. Finishers focus on being faithful today. 
finishers focus on just being faithful today. Tomorrow going to come? Yeah, tomorrow's going to come. They're going to have worries? Absolutely. Finishers have enough sense not to borrow, borrow any of that worry. They'll let, they'll, they'll, we'll deal with tomorrow tomorrow. I'm going to focus on today's step. You're not going to change your marriage overnight. Just take the next step. That sin that you're wrestling with, how, how many years did it take you to tie that knot in your rope? It's going to take some time to untie it. Take the next step. That virtue you are trying to develop. We're not making instant oatmeal. Take the next step. Finishers focus on being faithful today. They, they, they look at, it's so easy to look at the race and go, man, this is just too far. The finish line, it is just so far off. This idea of getting that far just seems hopeless. Just take the next step. When you are tempted to give up on the truly important things, finishers go, hey, they figure out what's the next step for me today. And they focus on being faithful today and they just take that next step. Like Jesus, they get to the finish line one step at a time. Now, I think when Luke wrote this, I think Luke was loosely quoting something that Isaiah wrote. Isaiah writes about the Messiah, and he speaks firsthand on the behalf of a Messiah who's trying to get to the finish. This is, this is what Isaiah says on behalf of the Messiah. He says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from the mocking and the spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Again, Isaiah is speaking first half on behalf of the Messiah. The Messiah who makes his way towards the finish line and who doesn't do so alone. No, the Lord God is with him. Jesus is the Messiah making his way towards the finish line. The Father is there waking him up every morning, teaching him, helping him. Jesus is able to set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem because he isn't running alone. Jesus is able to set his face like a flint because the Father runs with him. Listen to me. The truly important things that God is calling us to, we do not have to run alone. 
your Father in heaven, he will run with you. 1992, Barcelona Olympics. You have a sprinter by the name of Derek Redmond. Now, Derek was supposed to go to the previous Olympics, do amazing things. Life did not work out well. He's there in the 92 Olympics. He is all in emotionally in these Olympics. He is the leading contender, the odds-on favorite to win the 400-meter race. The race begins. Derek comes out of the blocks hard. He looks like he is going to win this race like everybody expects, and then tragedy strikes. Derek can hear it. He can feel it. His hamstring ruptures, which is this popping noise and this intense pain, and he goes down. Now, for Derek, the race is over. With a ruptured hamstring, he is not going to win this race, but he is desperate to finish the thing. And so he picks himself up and starts hobbling towards the finish line. And it becomes clear, this man is not even going to be, he's not going to get to the finish line on his own. And right about that point, you see somebody break out of the stands, clear through security, and carry Derek to the finish line. Let's watch it together.
historians. Who's the man who broke onto the track? His dad. When the son could run no further on his own, the father carried him to the finish line. There are things that you will be called to in the year to come. And you're going to feel like, I don't even have what it takes to take the next step. You don't have to run alone. Your Father in Heaven is waiting for you to invite Him in. And if you will, He'll carry you when you don't have the strength to go yourself. So this year, I'd encourage you to be thinking about what is it that God's calling me to? Sure, we got the, the silly things and the Miller Road things and whatever. I don't know if today is very helpful for those things, and I don't care because that's not what I'm here for. But the example of Jesus will serve us well in the truly important things. And so in the times in this year to come when you're tempted to quit, I would encourage you, look beyond yourself and ask, okay, what's at stake if I don't finish? And the times where you're tempted to quit, and you think, man, the finish line is just so far off. Just ask yourself, okay, what's the next step? What's today's step? Let me be faithful today. And in the times you're tempted to quit, and you think, I don't even have what it takes to take the next step, cry out to your Father in heaven, because you don't have to run alone. Let's pray together. Father, just as we begin this year to come, some of us today, we know what it is you're calling us to. Some of us, we don't. Father, pray that you and your time, you would make that clear to us. Father, we just pray for your grace in our lives to be the kind of people when it comes to the important things. And when we commit, we would not quit. Help us to look beyond ourselves. Help us to take the next step. Help us to lean into you and not run alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.